think we're just going to have to see how it how it turns out. Um, you know, I will say that um, you know, in general, I can be somewhat patient. You know, it. I mean, it just depends. You know, and I and think we'll we'll get you know a, a better read. You know, as the you know as time progresses. But um, you know, the, I think the the fortunate thing is that we've got a lot of guys returning. You know, a lot of our core returning. Uh, and, um, you know, I think we sit in a, in a decent position and we've got answers at this point. So we'll just have to see how it evolves. Hello everyone. And welcome to the latest episode of fish bites, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast. I'm Jordan McPherson. Well, the off season's heating up. Winter meetings are in full swing. We're seeing some deals slowly and surely being made and the Miami Marlins, they've been relatively quiet. Is that a surprise? Not really. Is it going to pick up? Eventually. When exactly that will happen? Who really knows? But the one thing that is certain, the market is active. In the last week alone, particularly the last couple days, we've seen the Texas Rangers swing probably the biggest trade thus far, sending Lance Lynn to the Chicago White Sox for a pair of prospects, including right-handed pitcher Dane Dunning. The Cincinnati Reds traded right-handed relief pitcher Rizal Iglesias to the LA Angels. The Mets have signed reliever Trevor May. The White Sox have also signed right fielder Adam Eaton to, to further bolster an already stout lineup. Uh, the Kansas City Royals signed Carlos Santana, who was viewed as probably the best first baseman on the open market. Why am I saying probably? He was the best first baseman on the open market. Uh, the Milwaukee Brewers signed catcher Luke Ma- Mayo. Uh, the San Diego Padres signed outfielder Brian O'Grady. The San Francisco Giants signed free agent uh, reliever Matt Weisler. And the list is slowly starting to add up. We're seeing names come off the board. Yes, basically all of the big names are still out there. JT Real Muto, Trevor Bauer, DJ LeMahieu, Marcus Simeon, Marcelo Zuma, George Springer, Liam Hendricks. That's not to be... That's not really a shock there. The market is still figuring itself out. Teams are still figuring out what their financial situations are going to be. They're still waiting to see what things are going to look like in 2021. Are we going to get a full season? How many fans are going to be allowed in ballparks? And teams are playing pretty conservative despite the fact that we're seeing some moves being made and we're seeing something, some traction starting to pick up as we get to the middle of December and we get to about two and a half months away from spring training starting. And at some point we're going to see the Marlins getting involved too. They're going to have to get involved. They know how important it is to build off this playoff run. They made the momentum that they have the notion that they have to continue on and find a way to build on that winning record and show that it wasn't a one year fluke. And they're going to have their name of guys to choose from. As we've talked about before in a couple podcasts, the market's flooded. There's more than 250 guys who are on the open market, and that's not including people who they can try to swing trades for. And the Marlins' biggest need is relief pitchers. And there are a lot of guys to choose from. MLB.com did a ranking breaking down all of the top guys by their win-above-replacement marks over the last two years. There are 23 relievers who are valued at at least one win above replacement over the past two years. And the Marlins will be able to choose who they want 
even if they don't necessarily pounce right away. They could do like what they've done in the past and let the market sort of start playing itself out and grab one of those mid to mid high tier guys and still get a pretty decent bargain. I mean, if you look at what they did last year, that's sort of what they did. Yes, they made a couple big moves at the non-tender deadline back in 2019. They got Jonathan VR. They got Jesus Aguilar at the non-tender deadline. Aguilar off waivers, VR via trade with the Orioles. They got Yimmy Garcia, who proved to be one of their best guys shortly after the winter meetings ended last December. But the rest of their free agent class, they all came after New Year's. Corey Dickerson, their starting left fielder all year, they signed him January 7th. Francisco Cervelli, who was splitting time with Jorge Alfaro before the season and career-ending concussion, they signed him January 9th. Matt Joyce, who platooned in right field. Brandon Kinsler, who became their closer and was rock solid for them all year. They signed both of them on February 3rd, weeks before spring training started. Brad Boxberger, he was not roster invite to camp. So the long game may not necessarily be the worst thing. It's just a matter of having that patience, which, again, to go off the phrase that Derek Jeter says, you have to have patience even though he has none. Uh, Mars manager Kim Ang in that intro mentioned that she feels like she has patience, even though that sometimes may be more externally than internally. But at the end of the day, that long game might end up playing for the Marlins in the long run. And as for some of those upgrades, I mean, again, like I mentioned, the possibilities really feel like they're endless. But you also have to have that reality check with the Marlins. Are they going to go for the big guy, Liam Hendricks, the top guy in the market? I just, I can't see it happening. Uh, Blake Trangan? Possibly, but again, who knows? Of the big names, again, Brad Hand always seems to feel like that main name there just because of the Marlins connection. They drafted him back in 2008. He played his first five big league seasons with the Marlins. So I feel like it's going to be a possibility until we hear where he's going. And then there are the guys who are non-tendered that just added to the flooded market that could probably be had on some team-friendly deals. Guys like Archie Bradley, Hansel Robles, Carlos Rodon, a Miami native. They could be options. And then, don't rule out Brandon Kinsler. Yes, the Marlins declined his, his team option that was $4 million for next year. But Kinsler enjoyed his time with Miami. There seems to be that connection between both team and player. And while if a deal is struck with him, I don't think it will be immediate. But I could see a chance for Kinsler to return. Would that be with him as the closer? Or would that be with him as a setup guy and then them pouncing on another guy for the closer to improve their back end? We'll have to wait and see. But don't rule out Kinsler just yet. And on that note, let's look back at some of the moves that the Marlins have made to this point. I mean, the two biggest things are... Both Garrett Cooper and Jesus Aguilar are under contract. They both signed one-year deals that avoid arbitration. Cooper is set to make $1.8 million. That can go up to as high as $2.05 million with performance bonuses. Jesus Aguilar is signed for $4.35 million. That can go up to $4.5 million with performance bonuses. And funny enough, both of their performance bonuses are based on total play appearances, which means that more than likely it's going to be one or the other who ends up getting that extra money. So you're going to see that that extra 100000 150000 
being 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 awarded. And I want to commend Kim Ang for making the move and pulling the trigger and locking up both guys, especially when you've seen a few other NL teams waving guys who may not fit roles because NL teams are still waiting to find out officially if they're going to have a designated hitter in 2021. It's not looking likely, which is why you saw moves like the Braves not tendering Adam Duvall, who they didn't really have a full role for and more than likely would have only used him in that designated hitter role in 2021 were they to have it. Eng went the complete opposite route. She went with, let's protect ourselves and make sure we're as set as possible in the event that this does happen. If it doesn't, they'll figure it out. And worst case scenario, they have two really good bats to figure out where to, where to use them. Obviously, you can also use Cooper in right field if needed at times. But as of right now, if there's no DH, you would expect Aguilar and Cooper to be splitting time at first base. Or the Marlins could try to swing a trade once you get into spring training. But as of right now, they're both under contract. The Marlins have both of their their power-hitting guys. And it makes the roster that much better just knowing that you have that talent there. And then their other moves, uh, they signed five of the other seven, five of the other guys who were arbitration eligible, uh, and all of those guys were really no-brainers. Brian Anderson, Jorge Alfaro, and relievers Richard Blyer, Yimmy Garcia, and the newly acquired Adam Simber. All five of those guys here to be part of the 2021 roster. Anderson, obviously, is the third baseman of the future, and the goal, the hope, is that he will be the third baseman beyond his three years of arbitration beyond 2021 through 2023, but no long-term contract in at least until the end of 2021. And that's mostly Kim Ang's doing. She's in her first year. She wants to see everybody up close and personal before making any long-term decisions. It's understandable. It's an understandable way to go, way to go with it. Doesn't want to make that big splash yet, but it's going to have to get to a point where the Marlins are going to have to find a way to lock him up soon if they want to lock him up long term. Because after this year, he's this year he's slated to make anywhere between two to four million dollars, depending on how arbitration goes. If he has another solid year, it's going to be that much tougher for them to get him under team friendly terms, and they're going to have some decisions to make. Alfaro. The hope is that he can finally have that breakout year that they were hoping to see. We saw some strides from him at the end of 2019. I personally am counting 2020 as a wash year for Alfaro just because of the fact that he missed so much time with COVID-19. He missed about three weeks, which in a 60-game season, that's a lot of time. And there was just so much going on in terms of all the adjustments, all of the just roster shuffling. I'll give a pass to 2020. But he really needs to find ways to improve this year. He needs to get better plate discipline. He needs to get that rapport with the pitchers who now he is going into his third year with. He's going to year three with Sandy Alcantara, with Pablo Lopez. with He's going to year two with Sixto Sanchez and with a bunch of the other younger guys. The rapport is there. He needs to find the way to make the personal strides. And then the relievers, Richard Blyer is going to be that 6th, 7th bridge guy. Gimme Garcia is going to be somewhere in the back end. 
Simber's going to work with Blyer and Holt in that bridge-type role. So the Marlins have some pieces in place. Obviously, it's figuring out the ways to round out the roster, which they'll be able to do. They have two open 40-man spots right now after DFAing Jose Urania, not tendering Ryan Stanek, and sending Robert Duggar out on waivers, which he was claimed by the Seattle Mariners. So they have, thir- they have 38 guys in their 40-man roster. You could very well see one of those spots being used in the Rule 5 draft. The Marlins have picked a guy in, I believe, the county's three consecutive years, even though Eliezer Hernandez, when they picked him in 2017, he's the only guy who's actually panned out so far. Riley Farrell in 2018 was on the injured list from the end of spring training on and got sent back to Houston. Sterling Sharp made the roster out of camp last year out after being taken from the Nationals. Had a couple decent outings to, to begin everything, and then he just couldn't keep up. So the Marlins, knowing how precious the roster spaces were, especially as they were getting guys back from the COVID list, sending them back to Washington. Whether the Marlins take a guy this year, and again, remember, they don't have one of the top picks this year. They're going to be picking 17th in the Roll 5 draft. And with the uncertainty of how many guys, how many roster spots are going to have at least to start the year, the uncertainty of how many, if they're going to be locked in at 13 pitchers like they would have been under normal circumstances last year, and the fact that there was no minor league season last year, so you didn't get a true evaluation of a lot of the guys who may have been on the bubble or may have been fringe guys for the Rule 5 draft this year, it could make it a lot more risk. There, there's a lot more. It feels like there's going to be a lot more risk than reward involved in the Rule Five Draft this year. But there is still time to figure all that out. That's on Thursday, and there's just a lot of time left to see what moves are going to be made. And to finish off the show, I'm going to put out a couple sound bites from Kim Ang from our. Zoom interview with her before everything started with winter meetings this week. Basically her adjusting to this crash course of what she's been doing over this first month and her overall thoughts of the organization itself and what she's expecting of this group as we head into 2021. And with that, that's going to conclude this week's episode of Fish Fights, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast. Thank you so much, everybody, and we'll be back next week. Thank you. I can tell you that I got to sleep in uh, till 5.30 this morning, so I'm doing pretty good. Um, <clears throat> not a big coffee drinker, uh, but I've had to just dip in there a bit uh, these past couple of weeks. So it's been, it's been a lot. Um, I've had great, uh, great meetings with the staff, um, you know, and definitely getting their perspective on, on what's happened over the last, you know, couple of years and, and where they think uh, we're going in the future. Um, I can tell you that, uh, you know, video has been a big part of my repertoire uh, the last couple of weeks, you know, really trying to get to know these players um, as well as others that have come up on the radar uh, in terms of trades and, and um, you know, other transactions. So, it's been a lot of deep diving, I can tell you that much. Um, I've talked to some agents, I've talked to some clubs. Um, you know, I also have to get to know our scouts, you know, and how they view players and, and um, you know, the, the ways in that they evaluate. So it's been, uh, let's call it a crash course. Uh, my, my husband's been really great 
you know, making sure I've, I'm eating three times a day, <laughs> but um, no, it's, it's been good. So what I can tell you is that, um, you know, what, in a lot of the interviews that I've had and a lot of the organizations that I've prepared to uh, talk to, um, you know, when I went into the Dodgers situation, there's usually um, some facet of it that is, if, if not many facets, and that's actually usually the case where um, there is just a ton of work that needs to be done um, and restructuring and rebuilding. Uh, I can tell you on this front, yeah, and, and the farm system is obviously, you know, where, where everyone wants to go and that's the foundation of your organization. So, you know, being able to step into a situation like this, you know, where they are in, um, I guess now year four, coming up on year four, uh, they are ahead of the game, you know, from what, um, you know, when you project out, you know, again, when I've projected out and looked at other situations, it takes a really, really long time to build a farm system of this caliber and of this quality. Uh, and so that, that really is the most exciting thing about all of this, you know, and, and making sure that, you know, that, that we as a front office are doing everything for them that we can do to help in their development. You know, whether that means, you know, um, you know, education, whether that means, you know, on the nutrition side, on having the best strength and conditioning guys that, you know, people that we can have, um, you know, that is all part of this. And so, again, the resources that have been allocated to infrastructure, let's call it infrastructure, um, you know, has been really eye-opening and, uh, you know, just incredibly happy to see it's in place. So I would say that's my impression. Mm -hmm.